welcome back to the Value Adds Value podcast with Kyle Krieger and Wilkie Law, where we're sharing inspiring stories of educators just like yourself, helping you to develop your craft and sharpen your tools to become the teacher your students deserve. This is the Value Adds Value podcast. Let's jump into this next episode. What's up, everybody? It's Kyle here from the Value Adds Value podcast, and I wanted to introduce this special bonus episode of Value Adds Value in which we talk with Kim Crouch, who is the one of the co-founders of the ELA Success Summit, which is a digital uh, summit, a digital professional development for middle school ELA teachers that's coming up here at the, uh, at the start of August. Um, I was so flattered that she asked me to be a part of it, and I wanted to make sure that we brought her on for this special episode of the podcast to hear a little bit of her story and a little bit about where the summit came from. So I hope you enjoyed this bonus episode with Kim Crouch. If you don't follow her, she's oh, uh, English Oh My on Instagram and Twitter. Go follow her TPT and go check out the ELA Success Summit. Hope to see you there, and I hope you enjoy the special bonus episode of Value as Value. I'm really really excited to have our guest today. She reached out to me a few weeks ago and asked me to be a part of the Summer ELA Summit, which I was super honored. So uh, a quick shout out to Danielle Knight for recommending me. I really appreciate it. But we have Kim Crouch on the podcast. Kim, how are you? Good. How are you? Good. I'm really good. It's the, we were just talking about how we crossed the July 15th um, school threshold, meaning that summer is closer to the end than it is to the beginning. Oh. So yeah, um, like I said, Kim reached out to me uh, last week, or I should say a few weeks ago, and um, she's here to talk a little bit about the ELA Summit. But before we do that, Kim, can you just give the, the listeners a little bit about your background and how you got into education? Sure. Hi, everybody. I'm Kim Crouch. I am a seventh and eighth grade English teacher out on Long Island, New York. And I actually started as a biology major, believe it or not. Um, and I quickly realized that biology was not my passion. And my second passion was always English. So as I was going through college, I realized, wow, I I was working with kids. My dad was like, what are you doing, Kim? You love working with kids. You really need to become a teacher. And I followed through my with my English degree. And here I am. I've been in the classroom for 20 years this year. This this will be your 20th? It will be my 20th year in the wow. same classroom. In the same, same classroom, classroom, 20 years. I got I to gotta ask you, though, that's... Because for my, uh, I, I'm about to be 36, and it seems like the people in my generation, like the kids that I went to college with that went into education, within the first four years, they were already like looking to move up and be curriculum coaches and principals and all that stuff. So what, what has kind of been the journey that, I guess cause you decide to stay in the same classroom for 20 straight years? It's, it's funny because I actually went in, when I went into student teaching, I taught the high school level and I loved it. I loved the high school kids. And when I, 
when 2000 was a big boom for teachers, the year, two, obviously year 2000 and, um, to, or, and it was just this huge boom. And I was offered a position at the middle school level. <clears throat> and I was like, ooh, let me try this. And I did, and I fell in love with these kids even more. And I never really thought about moving into administration, to be honest with you. I just always loved being in the classroom. It's just a different day, different kids. They make me smile. You know, it's just, I just love it. I, I wouldn't leave it. I wouldn't, I wouldn't do administration. So, so your first year in the classroom was the fall of 2000? fall of 2000 so that means your second year the fall of your second year right as school starts 9 11 happens yes can i just ask a little bit about what that what experience was like i mean because what you must have been er, early to mid 20s yes i started when i was 21 so (laughs) yeah i started i was right out of college i was just this young young person right out of college. And um, yeah, so I started in 2000. In 2001, um, obviously 9-11 was, we were hit hard by that, um, being that we're about 45 minutes by train, an hour and 20 minutes from the city. So we did have a lot of parents who and a lot of families, actually, we lost um, three pa- parents in 9-11. It was a very, it was, I can't even explain the day. It's almost surreal. Um, we, I, you know, every year you kind of look back on it. And I was in the classroom when my vice principal came and kind of handed us a note saying that, you know, the first plane had to hit the buildings. And I was, you know, it, in the past, planes have hit little planes have flown into the buildings before. And that's what I was thinking. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, and then as I walked downstairs, I didn't realize I was watching a second plane hit the building. So when I went downstairs, I was like, Oh my goodness. I thought they were replaying it. And it was just one of those days that you just, of course, never forget. And the following few weeks were really difficult because we learned, you know, a couple of the families were affected by it. Um, some of, you know, some of the districts on Long Island really, you know, lost quite a few, quite a few parents and, uh, you know, people who worked in the district and and such. So, so as an educator who experienced that, how does it compare to what we've experienced over the last few months or, or let's just not, not so much as summer, but what happened? Cause you said it was. The, the 13th of March or the 17th of March, that was your last day within the classroom? Yeah, so my actually district went out, we had a, a positive case at one of the elementary schools relatively early. We were actually one of the first districts to go out quickly. And then of course, that following week of many other districts followed suit. However, I, you know, it's it's interesting because I think one thing that teachers are really good at is adapting to change quickly, no less. And I mean, this was, I think we all experienced this. This was a forced, we had no choice, figure it out moment, right? And we were able to, I, I think that quickly 
we were able to figure out kind of where we were going. The first two weeks of quarantine, my district was just asking us to send out through Google Classroom, just to send out, right, work through Google Classroom, no face-to-face -face at that point, because the districts were trying to figure out, you know, what are we doing? Where are we going? Are we going back? So, right. you know, it's, you learn how to adapt. And I think that was probably between 9-11 and this, if I could equate anything, you, you learn how to move forward in a kind of a, a rough time, right? And you learn how to adapt it's just, it's so strange to me because I was like, like you, and obviously I was living in small town, Wisconsin, but I could, I could right now replay the details of 9-11 almost perfectly as to where I was and, and to what I was doing. But, you know, in this situation, you know, we did the same thing where we did, the state of Minnesota did a two week trial run of distance learning because they were trying to figure it out in which we really didn't have to send any, we, we sent, because ours sort of happened where they were doing a three week trial run, but our, we had spring break in there. So ours was only like a two week. And so we only sent stuff that was supplemental. None of it was required for the kids. Mm -hmm. So when we got back from spring break and it was clear that it was going to be like a long-term option, our kids were so kind of like, well, this is kind of, if we do it, we do it. If we don't, we don't. But how have, you know, how, how did you cope with the, the relationship aspect? Because I think that's something that, you know, my partner in the podcast, Wilkie and I have been talking about a lot, but how, how did you try to maintain those relationships you had during, during that time in which, you know, you couldn't have the, face-to-face -face interactions with your kids. And one thing that, let me just preface with this, you know, when I start the school year off, I always make it very clear to my students that I have an open door policy. Uh, I think that's extremely important for, for the middle, especially during the middle school, they're, they're going through some major changes socially, emotionally, and sometimes they just need an outlet besides their parents or family, you know, their friends, somebody who's kind of that third party that is not going to always have be so judgmental or whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. So in my syllabus, and when I go through the beginning of school, that's always something that I share with them. You can, if you need, ever need to talk to me, you ever need to just vent, you know, you have whatever it might be. They're always, they're always willing, welcome to do that with me. And through quarantine, that was something I felt kind of started all my meetings off with, with them um, was, you know, if you need, you need to reach, reach out to me, um, email me, find me on Google Classroom, because in the Google Classroom, you can kind of send personal messages in the feed mm -hmm. yeah. and um, find me, ask me, I'll have, a, I'll have a private Zoom or Google Meets with you at that point. And I, I even sent out a survey with, to the kids you know, kind of a weekly survey. How are you feeling? How are you doing through this? You know, are you dealing with any issues? Is everybody healthy at home? And, um, you know, that's how I really tried to maintain that relationship, just to let them know I'm here for them if, if needed. And how, how do you think, because I know a lot of teachers that I work with and a lot of teachers that we talk to really struggled with 
you know, we understand that there's content that has to be taught and, and those type of things. But how did you deal with not just, you know, the social emotional needs of your students, but yourself and, and you have your, you have your own kids, right? Yes. I have a son. Yeah. And, you know, helping him, like, where did teaching content fall in all of those priorities during that time of, of COVID-19? Because I think that's what a ton of teachers struggle with, myself included, people I work with and people I've talked to is just like, how, how do you prioritize delivering content and the need to, you know, maintain the standards when all of that stuff is going on and you're dealing with all those other things? And I'll be trans, I'm going to be completely transparent. I was completely frazzled at the beginning um, between trying to balance my son, you know, who is going into middle school next year. Um, He was, he had a full day schedule pretty much, you know, of work and district to district here was doing, we're doing things so differently. So it was, you know, luckily he's such a great, he's such a great kid and he's extremely independent and he is very, very disciplined himself. So he kind of got himself on his own schedule and I could trust that at nine o'clock in the morning, he was going to start. And then on top of it, I had my husband home, obviously working from home. So we were fighting over the office <laughs> and, um, and then on top, so now you're trying to balance your family. You're trying to, you know, figure out, you know, who's going where in the house so that you could have your meetings because my husband's job is primarily dealing with, you know, corporate people. So he was always having meetings and stopping the dog from barking. Um, (laughs) You know, it was a little frazzling at the beginning. Mm -hmm. And I just, at certain points of the day, I literally had to lock myself somewhere or go outside because luckily the weather was beautiful during the whole, Mm -hmm. go outside and just have a moment of like clarity where I could just clear my head, sit down, figure out what I was going to have my kids do the next day. And Mm -hmm. on top of it, I had to finish 12 chapters of To Kill a Mockingbird with my kids. So, (laughs) so you had, you were, you were required to do a a chapter a week of to kill a mockingbird. Oh, not a week. I had to, I had, to, I still, when we went into quarantine, I had 12 chapters to do with in To Kill a Mockingbird, and I still had to get through Anne Frank. Oh, wow. Oh, so, wow. I thought you meant you only had to do To Kill a Mockingbird to end the year. Oh, my goodness. So, no. So I was trying to balance it out. And luckily, I'm sure, Kyle, your district was extremely flexible. We were just, they had to be extremely flexible with the teachers and and the curriculum, Mm -hmm. right? So we were were trying to do everything to get things done. I was not letting them leave me without finishing the book. So we finished the book. I let them, I, I teach the integrated kids too. So I had to get through To Kill a Mockingbird with, the integrated kids where I have them, you know, some of them are reading on very, very low reading levels. Right. So it was listening to the book, um, you know, watching parts of the movie, whatever we could do to try to get them through. So how are you, I mean, aside from the, the summit you've got coming up, but how are you preparing for the fall? Are you, cause this is a question I'm struggling with is, do I try to start to 
guess what school is going to look like and start preparing stuff digitally and stuff like that? Or do I just focus on my curriculum and, and, and try to, once they tell me how I'm going to teach and try to figure it out then. Cause I, I felt, you know, the first few weeks I, I felt good about what I was teaching, but then as, as the time went on, even though I had more time on my hands, I felt less prepared. I felt less and less prepared as the, as the time went on. So how are you prepping going into this new school year without specifically knowing what it's even going to look like? That's a very good question. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm in the same boat as you. I am thinking most likely we'll probably be in some sort of hybrid situation in September. Um, I am thinking I'm going to start my school year off as I always do, you know, in, with the same curriculum as I always do. If I'm going to, am I going to have to adapt it to some sort of digital online learning? Probably. So I am thinking ahead and trying to plan kind of, okay, if I start with, let's say, figurative language, how am I going to do that? If it's a hybrid situation, um, am I, how am I going to do that? What am I going to assign them digitally? Right. So I've been kind of thinking about that as well. Um, the tricky part is, is that we were only allowed into our classrooms one time through this whole thing. So the, I couldn't, I couldn't grab everything. So much of my work is at school still. So I'm wondering, you know, I'm hoping that they will allow us in soon <laughs> so that we right. can start moving along. So as an English teacher, did you require kids to still be, and, and when I say writing, I talk about, you know, like physical writing, because I'm a believer that like writing things down with pencil and paper is, we don't have to do it all the time, but like we should be doing. Were there still ways for you to ask your kids to do that as an assignment to actually physically write things out or were they doing everything digitally? I know. I feel the same way as you do is actually I try not to have them do a a lot digitally. We are a one-to-one school with Chromebooks. So obviously they want us to use the technology. However, as an English teacher, I think pen and paper is extremely important for many different skills and, and, you know, writing techniques. So during quarantine, I actually had the do, I had them do a quarantine journal and I Mm -hmm. made them write physically. Um, And with their quarantine journal, I would ask something different each day. I'm sorry, not each day, each week. So, you know, week one was um, tell, you know, write down a little bit about yourself, what you're doing. And I made it almost like a time capsule for them. Mm -hmm. So that we were actually required to assign something physical for them once a week. They had to do it physically. So no computer technology, they had to write or answer questions, whatever you ask them to do. So I made it weekly, a weekly basis for them to journal write and kind of talk about their experiences with being, you know, during distance learning and, and quarantine. And it was, I think, a good outlet for them. And Wilkie and I have been talking a lot about discourse because that was really, you know, the one thing that productive academic 
targeted conversation. That was one of the things that was really like lacking Mm -hmm. during our time last at the end of last year. So how do you have any strategies you try to use to whether it's digitally or via zoom or whatever to get kids to have those discussions? Cause we know it's such an important part of the learning process. Mm-hmm. And I don't know about your kids. Did they mute themselves while on Google, on Google meets and they wouldn't talk to you for a little while? Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. Um, and so what I started doing is I made it clear to that. I actually typed out a list of things I expected of them when they were to, when they were to participate in a Google meet. So it was things like, I must see you, not your fan, your ceiling, your walls. (laughs) I must see you physically. Mm -hmm. Um, You must participate. And if you don't, um, and I made parent communication a very big part of this. So I was constantly, and I think that was probably the most time consuming part of distance learning was contacting parents constantly, emailing, calling. Your, your child is not participating. Your child is not showing up for the Google Meets, right? And believe it or not, it's amazing how many parents don't know what their kids are doing. So um, that was a big part of it. So I think once I made requirements for them, um, they started to really kind of come out of their shell. And sometimes this is not for them, right? That yeah. speaking through a camera is not for them, but I would literally pick on them in, I would say, you know, Hey, um, Johnny, what did you think about, you know, scouting in this chapter or, and then I would, I would pick kids and they would participate. You know, I made them participate to kind of break that ice of digital learning. And, uh, that was a big part. Yeah. And I, you know, one of the things we realized too, is that there were quite a few parents that I had not made a lot of contact with through the year and they were not super thrilled to take calls when you hadn't been communicating with them all year. And that's something we noticed is that if you didn't have, if you hadn't built a relationship with parents, like prior to going on distance learning, you shouldn't expect for them to answer your phone and, answer your phone calls and your text messages. So that's something I really got to focus on coming up here this summer. As soon as I get my incoming eighth graders roster, I got to start communicating to parents and just saying, Hey, you know, this is who I am. This is the situation we're in. And the state of Minnesota is supposed to come out with their recommendations, not this coming week, but the following. So then I think we'll know more, but yeah, it's just, it's such an interesting. And, and I think the other mistake I made too, was that, um, I thought that because our kids are such digital natives and they have a phone or something in their hands all the time that it would translate to being a digital learner, but it just, it just was not the case at all. And I was so, I was blindsided by it. And I don't know if you, one, one positive I did see come out of this, I had a lot of kids, I, a lot of kids advocate for themselves. So if they were, they were questioning something they would reach out to me not and normally they wouldn't they would you know expect me to find them if i had a question right um middle school kids are not normally your type to um running to you 
And I, many students would, you know, contact me through email or on the Google Classroom and ask me questions if they were confused about right. something. So self-advocacy, I was really happy with. And that's something I think I'm going to try to focus a little bit more, you know, in the new school year about talking about self-advocacy. What is it? How do you, how do, you do it? Train them right. to, you know, speak up for themselves more often. Mm. Yeah. 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 So we, we definitely want to be respectful of your time this morning. So can you just talk a little bit about what the kind of how you came up with the ELA summit and, and who it's for and, and what people can expect? Sure. So myself um, and Christy Avis from Two Peas and a Dog, we are both teacher pay, Teachers Pay Teacher Sellers um, on Teachers Pay Teachers, and we have become very good friends over the course of the last four or five years. Both of us are middle school English teachers, and the English teacher community on Teachers Pay Teachers is pretty close-knit. And what happened was through distance learning, I think everybody, again, since everybody was shuffling for different tools and resources, Christy and I kind of put our heads together and said, well, what do we think teachers will need in September or August and September? And we both said, oh, digital tools. Why don't we put something together, reach out to a whole bunch of people, you know, people we know, people who we know are great teachers and see if they would be willing to present on some sort of digital resource or digital tool. Um, and that's how the ELA Summit kind of was born. So in August 4th through 6th, we're going to be doing 20 plus presenters who are going to be presenting on different digital tools or resources or their experience in the distance learning classroom and, you know, just give some tips and ideas to help teachers in the fall. Yeah. So, so this is brand new. So this will be the first first year. First year. Wow. And that's. And it's so interesting because it's so interesting to me how like it has taken so long for districts to really accept online PD, you know, and states to accept it for credit. And now like it's, it's literally the only option you have. And I'm just super interested to see how going forward after this, you know, what PD looks like. Cause I think that was always something that was frustrating for me as a teacher is like, you're going to make me sit in a room on a Saturday from eight until four o'clock to get the PD I need when I could read through this material in an hour or two and, and, and get more of it. So, um, yeah, I, I'm, I mean, like I said, I'm excited to, to get to see it and, and what you put together. I mean, and to be able to have, I, I know how much work that is on the back end to put something like that together, but to put it together and, just you know this one summer I think it's going to be a really good is it something you think you want to keep doing we already talked about it I th I definitely think so and like you said it's going to be interesting to see how professional development is going to go forward how schools are going to use it and right now there's so many great professional professional development opportunities out there so many great digital summits and you know teach with tech and all these great online sources that teachers can find that are, you know, that are just amazing PD and it should be interesting. And we would love to continue it next year, even make it, you know, broader, bigger. Right. And so 
being that you said a little bit ago too that you you're pretty familiar with the the ed tech space what are some of the 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 platforms that you really suggest teachers take a look at going into because i know and i get that it's hard for certain teachers because certain schools use certain things like i've talked to some teachers that they're using microsoft teams and some people are using google the google suite and stuff like that but but what are some of the the platforms that that teachers can take a look at if they are going to be in that virtual learning setting English language arts wise or just in, in general? Yeah, you, okay. e- either one, it's fine. Um, I definitely think regardless if a school is Google, it's using Google Suite or not, I think having the, just for your own accolades of resources and so forth, getting a Google account because they have so many awesome extensions for teachers like Kami. Kami is my favorite. Um, Kami is... Uh, a online, it's an extension and you upload, the teacher uploads a PDF and the kids can annotate it. It will read the text back to them. You can do, it is amazing. And I don't know if you use, have you used Kami before? I I haven't. I'm a little bit familiar with Immersive Reader, which kind of does, does the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they have so many, they have so many great extensions and, you know, between screen recording, like Screencast-O-Matic and Zoom, um, mm-hmm. they have some great apps for productivity. And, uh, I would definitely recommend any teacher having a Google account just for the Google extensions. Um, I personally used quill.org uh, through, through this. It was great. It was a great writing and grammar tool for my students. Just it was, you could push out diagnostic tests. It was free, obviously, during the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's just, you know, there's, gosh, it's endless, right? All these different resources and tools. And, and that's just, I, I think, some of the teachers who, because I work at a charter school. It's a classical style charter school. So they're not anti-technology but they're definitely not like reaching out for the latest and greatest so when this happened a lot of people kind of came to me and they're like hey you know what you're doing can you help me and the one thing I talk with them about is just not trying to do everything all at once Mm -hmm. like you can't you can't transition everything from what you were doing to digital, you, you got to take it steps at a time. And, and I think like you said at the start, and I kind of want to come back to that to wrap it up, is whatever school looks like, we know it's probably going to be different for most of us. So we also know that the relationship piece, that's like the most, that's like the key thing. So so what what advice would you give teachers coming into this new school year to really be able to focus and maintain. Cause like you said, you have great relationships with people, you know, through your TPT and stuff like that. So, so what advice do you have for teachers who want to build better relationships if they're on, you know, if all their relationships are in the digital space? Definitely to be transparent with your students. Um, 
and you know anybody, parents and and so forth. I, I've learned that you know students over the last twenty years. I've learned that they really appreciate when you're just honest with them, and where you admit if you make a mistake, or in this case, if technology is failing um, and it's not working correctly. Because I had that happen, you know, <laughs> of, of <laughs> through course. many different. Of course, sessions. it does. Of course, it does. <laughs> through many different sessions, you know, it would take for whatever reason, something wasn't working, you know, right. and, um, I would just, I would just make, you know, make a, make it funny and say, you know, look at, you know, the, the technology, you know, they know that I, I'm pretty good with technology and I'd be like, Oh, look, I can't get this to work guys. Sorry. Sorry you know, yeah. and, um, just being transparent and it's okay to admit if you make a mistake or something, I, they think they really appreciate that and it humanizes us, you know, and it puts us on this kind of the same playing field, the same, that same level. You know, I, I think sometimes there's this, there's the, I, I don't, and I don't want to stereotype teachers at all, but you know, teachers don't want, they, there's this, here's the students here, are the, you know, here's the teacher. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes that that doesn't work. It doesn't work like that. And when you kind of put, you put them put yourself on the same level, it really they really respect that. And I think even the parents respect that a lot too. So communication, transparency with the transparency with both your students and parents, I think will get people yeah. you know pretty far in in fall. Yeah, yeah. And that's kind of like I said where I'm at. I I've. I, I got the advice 10 years ago when I started in there, like, as soon as school starts, contact every parent, make sure they know who you are. And it's something that I've never done, but it's one of those things that I need to do. And, and I love what you said about transparency. And I think that's good advice for whenever we go back to being with kids too. Cause I, I do think, especially like when I started, it was just still this kind of like, I'm the teacher, I'm the authority and you are the student where like our kids just, they they want to they want to know who you are and mm -hmm. the good the bad and it's and that's maybe one of the strangest things is you see like people on TV getting interviewed whether it's the late night shows or on the news and they're using Zoom and it's like glitching and then their face will stop moving and it's it's why it's just a it's just a wild time and I do I think I think this has put us regardless of where you are what you do it put everybody in the same in the same place, regardless of where you are in your career or world or, you know, how mm -hmm. famous you are, it kind of put everybody in the same place. And I think that's important um, mm -hmm. all around just, is just to realize that, you know, we all, we're all human and we're all, you know, we all have families and things are going on behind us and in the background and uh, right. that's life. It's real life. Right. So all right. So where can people find you online, find out more information about the summit, all those things before we get you out of here? Okay. So you can find me online in a few places. Um, my Teachers P Teachers store is English Oh My. Um, I'm on Instagram at English underscore O underscore My. You can find the summit at www. ELA success summit.com. Um, yeah, you can email me. I would always be happy to answer any questions at English gmail.com. Yeah. I'm awesome. so happy. Thank you so much for awesome. having me. Yeah. Like I said, and I appreciate and another shout out to Daniel Knight for the recommendation, but 
I appreciate you coming on the podcast and I can't wait to see what the conference holds. Yay. Hey, everybody, just want to take a quick second to thank you for listening to this episode of the podcast uh, with Kim Crouch. I hope you will go and check out the ELA Success Summit coming up. I hope you'll share this episode and, uh, you know, also go check out Kim's Instagram page. Go check out her um, TPT store. Do all those things to support her. I mean, because it's amazing to me that, you know, two people over the course of the summer have put together an entire conference and it's, it's a ton of work and I know it is because I have friends who do it. So we really appreciate uh, her for coming on the podcast. We really appreciate the opportunity to present and we hope that uh, this, this episode made a difference for you and that, and that it's helping you on your journey. So uh, if it did help you, please like, please subscribe to the podcast and we hope to uh, meet you right back here again soon on the value adds value podcast. Have a great day.